Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle, your host for today's conversation. We are in a special series, The Hallways of Home, Uh, a subject near and dear to my heart and the heart of our community, Stronger Every Day, a heart-lifting community. Please join our private Facebook group or join us on Instagram at Speak Healing Words Podcast or at Janelle Rarden. Or just go to my website, Janelle, J-A-N-E-L-L, Rarden, R-A-R-D-O-N.com, and get all the things, all the free resources, and uh, make sure you subscribe so you just don't miss a thing. Today, we're going to move forward in a second episode that joins last week's episode, The Anatomy of Yelling. Today, we're going to be talking about the anatomy of repression. You might say it's the opposite. Yelling, we're using our words, we're letting them out. Repression, we're swallowing our words, we're keeping them inside. Most important part of this whole discussion, this whole series on the hallways of home, I pray, I hope, is that you will be made aware of how incredibly important and emotional language is inside of a family. We need to have emotion skills, emotion words. We need to have emotional intelligence. This is a newer, not new, but newer realm of study in psychology and science, uh, the emotional Uh, intelligence, but it is being proven over and over again how vitally important, how at the top, 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 we want to have emotional intelligence. It just makes us a better human being, a better worker, better parent, better friend, better husband and wife, better partner. So this past week, I listened to a beautiful, incredible podcast with Brene, Dr. Brene Brown and Dr. Mark Brackett. Uh, The podcast is new. It's called Unlocking Us. And I can't encourage you enough to listen to this particular episode, Permission to Feel, Unlocking the Power of Emotions to Help Our Kids, Ourselves and Our Society Thrive. It was so impactful and it was so affirming to what we talk about in our community, that threefold cord of emotional health and wellness, which leads to spiritual health and bodily health. And so Dr. Brackett said these words, most of us are unaware of how important vocabulary is to emotion skills. As we've seen, using many different words implies valuable distinctions that we're not always simply angry but are sometimes annoyed, irritated, frustrated, disgusted, aggravated, and so on. If we can't discern the difference, it suggests that we can't understand it either. 
It's the difference between a rich emotional life and an impoverished one. Your child will inherit the one you provide. I'm going to read those last three sentences. It's the difference between a rich, I'm sorry, if we can't discern the difference, it suggests that we can't understand it either. It's the difference between a rich emotional life and an impoverished one. Your child will inherit the one you provide. Oh, my dear friends, my community, this is what we are all about here. We want to have a rich emotional life and I will add legacy, lineage for an army of ancestors that are going to come behind us. You know, I say all the time, I'm here to call back and help us move forward. And today, this is all about the anatomy of repression and how dangerous, dangerous repression is to the emotional health of a family. Now this week on in the email, I addressed uh, kind of an after, after last week's podcast, a conversation I had with my husband. He said, I, I listened to your podcast, which he normally doesn't really do. I mean, we, he normally knows everything I'm going to say on it. But this anatomy of yelling struck a really deep chord with my husband because, you see, he grew up in a family of yellers. It was an angry household. And his parents would run around with bats. And um, he was so afraid and uh, fearful. And, you know, what happens in that situation, we would call that childhood trauma. That gets stored inside your limbic system, inside your implicit memory. And in that's subconscious. So we're not aware of how that continues to affect us in our life. And my husband has just had such incredible healing. He's been doing such personal work, and I, I just couldn't be more proud. And he's had a tremendous amount of healing that is enabling him to uh, be free and be whole. And I, I asked him, I said, wow, I wish we'd had that conversation on, on tape for our listeners and he said he was willing to get on the podcast. So hopefully he'll be on uh, a podcast soon and we can really hear more from the male's perspective about personal growth and emotional health. So as a result of the home that my husband grew up in, he became a repressor. As the result of the home I grew up in, I became a repressor. So we are both king and queen of repression. Repression's a defense mechanism, and we both are very, very good at it, which isn't a good thing, as we'll find out. Uh, I, I want to bring to the table this beautiful article by Scott Jeffrey. He is the author of The Shadow, and it's about repression and repressed emotions and how to understand those feelings that are hidden within us, that way down in our subconscious. And he says, you know, as with all psychic content, psychological content, the things that we can't deal with that are too big for our bodies, the big emotions that we talk about here, often just get swept under the rug. But 
they actually really get swept under the rug and into our nervous system as that's where they actually go. So over time, repressing our emotions wreaks havoc on our mental, emotional, and physical well-being. So what exactly are repressed emotions? He shares this story, and I think right now during this pandemic, many of you are going to go live in that right there, right there. Yep, yep, you're right. He writes, a seven-year-old is doing homework at the kitchen table. His disgruntled older brother storms in, rakes his hand over the countertop, sending the younger brother's books flying to the floor. Sound familiar? The seven-year-old is enraged, but he quickly sees the rage in his big brother's eyes. He doesn't want to get hit, too, so he says nothing bending down to pick up his schoolwork. Now, what happened to the younger child's rage? Where did it go? He doesn't express it out of fear. He doesn't want to be hit. He doesn't want to get in a fight with his brother. So instead, he suppresses it. He pushes it down deep within him. If the boy is successful at pushing his rage away very soon, he won't feel it anymore. It will have gotten pushed and swept and dug down into his nervous system, into his subconscious, into the limbic system, into the implicit memory. Does that mean the anger went away? Oh, no. No, no, no. It just indicates that the boy successfully repressed his rage out of his consciousness. But then where did it go? So Scott Jeffries continues to write, psychology most often views repressed emotions as a psychic event, something that takes place in the mind. Psychoanalyst Wilhelm Reich, a contemporary of Carl Jung, took a different viewpoint. He observed the effects repressed emotions had on the body, calling it body armor. Yeah, I think many of us here can relate that we have, we armor up. I love Dr. Brene Brown. She teaches a lot about armoring up. Well, this originally came from this psychoanalyst Wilhelm Reich. As we accumulate emotional trauma in childhood, particularly, to adapt to our environment, our bodies and our character begin shielding us from additional emotional pain. This armor hinders our ability to connect with and heal old emotional wounds and experience the resulting release from this process. Reich's insights were discovered thousands of years prior in ancient China. The Taoists view emotions as information, and we say that here all the time. Energies, I mean, emotions are energy and they're information. They are directives. They are not to direct us. We are to direct them. They are not, they don't drive us. We drive them. When something blocks that energy or that information inside of our body, it is going to create an energetic blockage or stagnation. So specific organs, lean in here. This scientific research to me is always so beneficial and helpful. Specific organs relate to certain emotions. Fear goes to the kidneys. Anger stores in the liver. Grief lives in the lungs. 
Now, we don't talk a lot about this in Western medicine, but there's so much wisdom in Eastern medicine. And I've been a student of alternative methods of holistic methods of medicine since my children were all born and had uh, serious sensitivities and food allergies. And so I was forced in many ways before the internet to learn as much as I could about how our body and mind and our heart and our soul work together. So instead of processing these emotions, Uh, Scott Jeffrey continues to speak, most of us subconsciously learn to avoid them. Now, I've shared with you about attachment and attachment theory and how I have an insecure attachment, insecure avoidant. So I grew up, you know, in that dysfunctional alcoholic home. Father was an alcoholic. So mom, you know, became, had to control things. And it, it was just unstable, volatile, and I didn't know when I walked through the door what it was going to be like. So there was a lot of ambivalence and a lot of armor was being built in in little Janelle because there were so many big emotions I didn't understand and nobody was explaining them to me. The same with my husband. So when you see your parents running around with bats and they're going to hit the heck out of each other, what on earth do you... you, That fear went right to his his kidneys, right? Or he just went and hid under the bed or, you know... It's so frightening when your home is not a safe place. Now, my father was was a calm alcoholic. He never was abusive. You know, he was just not present. He would fall asleep and he would just not be there. He would not be present. But my mother was a also a repressor. She just went into silent treatment. And as I learned uh, just maybe a decade ago from a very wise pastor, that silent treatment is like treating someone like they're dead. The moment I heard that in a sermon on a Sunday morning, I almost fell out of the pew. It hit me so deeply because I could not understand the affect that my mother's silent treatment, I couldn't understand, like, why is she not talking like for days, three days, I would have maybe, maybe, I don't know, preferred her to yell at me at that point. So I at least would have had some understanding of what the heck was going on. But she just shut down. And we've come to call that in our lineage, the shame shutdown. It's just the shutdown. The emotions are too big. She was flooded. Her window of tolerance, as I've come to understand psychologically, was just, she couldn't handle any more. My dad was enough. I had an older brother and sister, and by the time I came around, it was just it was just too much. She just didn't have a whole lot left. So instead of processing these emotions, when we repress them, when we push them down, when we swallow them, <laughs> most of us then will just subconsciously become avoiders. And avoiding feelings is the leading driver behind most of our neurotic tendencies, our compulsions our compulsive behavior, our addictions, our consumerism, our shopping addictions, our workaholism. And to avoid these feeling, the avoid feeling these negative emotions, we then pursue distractions and other stimulation. So we might 
sedate ourselves, like I just said, with shopaholism or workaholism or television or food or alcohol or drugs or the internet or shopping or pornography or something else that we hope will just give us a temporary lift or numb us so we don't have to feel anything and so we can just run away from all of that. Repressing emotions, I want you to hear me here. Please, I have spent a lifetime repressing emotions. It has not been until the last couple years that I have learned how, well, I, let me be very clear. In 2014, when I began um, having symptoms that mimicked heart attack, and then eventually, over months, I began to choke. My food would not go down. Then I eventually was not able to swallow water. The doctors thought I had was had a heart attack or they were going down the multiple sclerosis or maybe Lou Gehrig's disease, all of the muscle diseases. It was a frightening period of medical tension in my life and nobody could seem to figure it out till I met a very wise GI doctor and he led me to a very important test called the manometry and he concluded that I had a rare esophageal disease called achalasia. I write about it in Overcoming Hurtful Words in the last practice, Smile at Your Future. And that diagnosis in my life of achalasia, which means a failure to relax, and it's debilitating affect on my esophagus that I could no longer swallow because my lower sphincter was just slammed shut. It couldn't relax. Well, there were so many, so many spiritual ramifications and somatic ramifications, which just means my body was telling me very loudly, girl, you've got a problem and you've got to stop swallowing everybody's, yeah, I'm not going to cuss here, but you've got to stop swallowing everybody else's problems and taking everything on personal. You have got to uh, learn to speak up, use your voice, think for yourself. I cannot I cannot tell you what a long, dark shadow through the valley of death in my life that was, but it led me to a mountaintop experience of holistic healing and care and revelation and personal freedom. And I share about that in that last chapter. I won't um, go into that. But when I, when I lost my ability to swallow, Oh boy, I looked up what swallow meant and it means to suppress feelings. Yep, it does. And so it meant, and so I took it one step further and I looked up the word suppress and suppress means to resist something consciously. Behavioral scientists report that repressors, all right, are you, <laughs> really listen here are people who maintain a stiff upper lip under all circumstances. And suppressors and repressors are one of the most mystifying personality types. The repressors calm, uh-huh, just hold on to that. The repressors calm exterior, right? The duck on top of the water 
is bought at a great price. Dr. Daniel Weinberger, a psychologist at Stanford University, adds, Over time, the repressor's style of stifling reactions tends to take a toll on one's health. Well, you could have picked me up off the floor with a crane. I was so awakened. I was grieved. I was stunned. And it just led me to such a personal reckoning, to a personal awakening, to one of the biggest transformative growth experiences in my life. That was 2015. So I am now in year five of healing. I had an experimental surgery at the University of Virginia. I was the third person in the state of Virginia to have the surgery. I'm doing very well and just spoke to my surgeon yesterday because he's just amazing and he always checks in and I have to have lots of tests and you know, I don't want this situation to um, ever get worse because I do like eating and swallowing. It's a very necessary uh, muscular, muscular tool in our lives, isn't it? So very strong words here, stifle, repress, suppress. And all of these learned unhealthy behaviors inside of my little girl self that I learned so young, I knew they didn't belong in my life anymore. And I made a very firm decision to do some hard, hard work and begin to heal from my own repression. So what is the opposite then? If we're taking apart uh, repression here in the anatomy of repression, we're looking at words like stifle, stuffing, swallowing, um, repressing, suppressing, oppressing. And it expands to then, you know, we're letting other people rule our emotions instead of us knowing how. But when you're a child, right, you're a little, little thing, a little, and you have no idea what to do with all of those big emotions. So that's when we pick up, by God's grace, he, he has enabled us to learn coping skills and defense mechanisms that enable us to be safe in our body until we perhaps can grow up and learn this emotion, these emotion skills that we were talking about in the very beginning today, and we can earn our secure attachment, and we can find our voice, which in this community we equate voice with value, and so we can then learn a new language and come home to ourselves. And boy, oh boy, that's going to be one of the hardest things you do, but one of the most powerful, powerful things that you do. So let's just turn for a minute to um, seven commonly repressed emotions. I'm once again going back to Dr. Scott Jeffrey, his work. Repressed anger and rage. We talked about that in the anatomy of yelling. Repressed grief and sadness. In repressing our grief, we also suppress authentic joy. So 
once again, Dr. Brene Brown and a Dr. Kurt Thompson, who he wrote The Soul of Shame and The Anatomy of the Soul. I talk a lot about Dr. Thompson as well. They both write a lot about how if we are repressing grief and sorrow, we'll never be able to experience true joy. Sounds really crazy, but crying that doesn't lead to catharsis, which is change, is usually a form of ego drama, not healing. So if your mind continually goes to images of the past, a person, a place, or a thing, it's a sign that you're holding on to something that requires processing or understanding. Something somewhere in your life where you're stuck is a way I like to say it. Are you stuck? Is there a loop in your brain, a feedback loop that is stuck, that you you get triggered and all of a sudden you go, I suck. I'm just not enough. I can't do anything right. I Why do I think I can do anything right? I mean, why do I get my hopes up? What kind of stinking thinking or, you know, cognitive distortions are in your mind? Just think about that for a second. Do you, do you have repressed anger, shame, grief, guilt? You know, shame and guilt seem, and this is Scott Jeffrey again, shame and guilt seem to be the primary operating system of our culture in how we parent and teach. Listen here, please. This is so important during this time of pandemic parenting and schooling, crisis schooling. And I have shared so much about the language of shame and how we here in this community are moving into a new language. We're learning the emotional language of love and grace and self-compassion. We are no longer shaming, shooting, judging, blaming. No, that's not, we are, we are moving away. We are going to Put that language away and we are going to learn this new language. And it, it takes study and it takes practice, but you are capable and you are going to succeed. I believe in you. Shame and guilt, they are also at the basis of many, many religions and, and, and very much so in our Western tradition of Christianity. And I am here to be a reformer, to be someone who teaches this new language of grace and beautiful love and unconditional love and self-compassion. Shame and guilt are powerful tools of manipulation to get us to do what somebody else wants us to do. Boy, it was such a huge theme in my life and it is no longer there. And I'm so grateful because I have come home. I know my value, worth, and dignity and you are on your way. These emotions are so pervasive in many people's style of communication that we don't often know how to communicate without transmitting these emotions subconsciously. On a personal level, avoiding appropriate shame and guilt stalls our psychological development. I'm going to put this article on our private Facebook page, Stronger Every Day, so that you can get out your highlighter and go through this podcast with me and read this and let it absorb into your soul. Because if you are recognizing, hey, I think I'm a repressor. Oh, well, no, no, I know I'm a repressor. I let other people control me. I let other people rule me. I let other people tell me what I should think. Boy, when I look back, I think, what on earth? What on 
on earth, you know? But I'm so thankful and I'm so happy that we're here because we heal in community. Another repression is of hatred. So whew, that's a tough one. During childhood, many of us are told it's not acceptable to hate. Does this make the feeling of hate go away? Oh no, it just forces us to push it down into our unconscious. So most parents repress their feelings of hatred toward their children for the same reason. It's not okay to hate. Children don't experience our words. They absorb our feelings. This is the bedrock of my work here with you. In our homes, in our relationships, children absorb the atmosphere of our home. They do. I told you, I disclaimed, this could be hard to hear. But it's, if it leads you to transformation, I pray that it does. Awareness brings you to your knees to surrender to God and say, I want to be different. As I go through this pandemic, this press, like the pandemic press, man, I think I just coined a new word, a phrase. This is a pandemic press. We're in, we're in homes being pressed to the wall with some of our negative, unhealthy emotional behaviors and communication skills. And so we want to own them and we want to be free and do the necessary hard work in our hearts and minds and bodies. I would always tell my children, the only thing you can hate is evil. Hate evil. And evil includes, you know, um, unhealthy ways of speaking to one another and unhealthy ways of treating one another. Repressed fear. Oh, how many of us have repressed fear? That damages our kidneys and it just makes our world really, really small and it limits us so, so badly when we're afraid. Repressed desire, power, wealth, status, sex, and control dominate our lower soul. Many of us in our attempts to be spiritual repress these desires. And so we want to really just get in touch, right? Get in touch with ourselves and understand ourselves. We have repressed envy. This is one near and dear to my heart. I had so much envy. Grew up in the dance world, competition, beauty pageants, ugh, modeling, so much repressed envy. And I have to be so highly attuned to myself to make sure we're in a society that's driven to achieve. Comparison and competition drive our achievement. And the subliminal messages of the achiever's mindset includes, I'm better than you. Catch me if you can. You'll never be as good as me. I'm a winner and you're not. In my pat, you know, in my pageant days, first runner up was just wasn't acceptable. So, you know, social media now has just put all of that on steroids as we see everyone living in their perfection of Instagram and uh, Facebook. So then I don't want to go on and on today. I want to help us understand how we can begin to uh, express ourselves and how we can begin to use our voice for um, to make our world a better place. I love this quote by Desmond Tutu. Language is very powerful. Language does not just describe reality. Language creates the reality it describes. 
So one very, very important practice here in our Stronger Everyday community is to create intentions, to speak healing words into our universe, into our spheres of influence, into our homes, into our relationships. Speak healing words, words that are laden, they're filled with birth, (laughs) with conception. That's what intention means. What do you want to see in your life? What do you want to bring into your life? I am not talking mumbo jumbo woohoo stuff here. I am talking about the power of our words. Yes, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are inside of our words. Do you hear me? Death and life are in the power of our tongue, power of our words. Today, in the anatomy of repression, it is my utmost hope that this will be a beginning for you as we only scratch the surface here in our short podcast. That if you recognize here today that you are a repressor, that repression is your defense mechanism that you picked up early in life. And along with repression goes personalization. It's another defense mechanism that it's always your fault. It's always anything anybody says to you, you take personal. If you're hearing that today, then please, please ask for help. Start right here in this community. Email me, Janelle at JanelleRairden.com. Janelle, I recognized myself today and I need to know the steps. Where do I start? Well, you start right here. You're in the right place. And there are so many podcasts here. If you just journey through these podcasts from season one on, you are going to receive an arsenal of therapeutic grade counseling, coaching, and spiritual direction. I promise it's right here and it's free. How awesome is that? I do want to guide you. If you are a repressor, a personalizer to this remarkable book, Say What You Mean, A Mindful Approach to Nonviolent Communication by Oren J. Sofer, S-O-F-E-R, The link will be on my Instagram and will be on our Facebook page. How to find your voice, speak your truth, and listen deeply. How to find your voice, speak your truth, and listen deeply. Oren writes, human communication is complex. There are a myriad of factors in any interaction. Our emotions, remember our emotions are energy. Our emotions, ideas, and beliefs come into play both verbally and non-verbally. We have to negotiate patterns of relating that have been established, whether between two individuals or between the groups and communities to which we belong. Yet in all of this, there are certain consistent foundations to skillful communication. The overarching framework of this particular book takes three steps 
to create effective conversation. And they're very simple and I'm going to give them here as we close. One, lead with presence. There it is. We're talking all about presence over with the COVID-19 care group study guide that I created for you. You can download that on, the, on my website. Two, come from curiosity and care. Why do I act the way that I do? Why do I respond the way that I do? Why am I so angry all the time? Why do I let that other person always control me? What's wrong with me? Three, focus on what matters. He says, each step is part of a much more thorough and profound training. You know, this is not easy here. But I'm giving you basic elementary steps to begin with. He says, to show up and be fully in the moment, rest on training ourselves in the first foundation of mindful communication, which is presence. Coming from curiosity and care is rooted in the foundation of our intention. As we just said, intentionality is what makes us roll and rock and roll in this community. Focusing on what matters is about honing our attention, training our mind's capacity to discern what's essential, and shift its focus in a nimble and responsive manner. And he walks you through these three steps, these three foundations in Say What You Mean, a mindful approach to nonviolent communication. For many of you, I know this may have been a tough, a tough episode to hear, but it is my hope and it is my, my deepest prayer that it was an awakening for you because I remember being awakened to the fact that I was a repressor. And that awakening, as I said, was, was hard, yes, was jarring, but it was also what led me to such beautiful freedom. And so you're not, you don't have to do this alone. I want you to know that you have a community that is waiting to help you. And I have many, many resources available. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to all the resources. Just go to my website, JanelleRiordan.com slash subscribe, and you're there. You've taken the first step. So until next time, you have a very blessed day. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.